All right. Well, hey, welcome. Welcome, welcome. City Light U. Um, if you are new, my name is Andrew. I am one of the leaders here uh, on staff here. So uh, we're going to be continuing our series through the book of Hebrews. So if you want, flip to Hebrews chapter 11. As you're flipping there, though, I'm going to pray and then we will get rolling. So pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your word, uh, for inspiring this uh, letter to the Hebrews that uh, we get to study and we get to find out more about you, more about who you are, more about who we are. God, I pray that tonight you would be faithful um, to us as we sit here and we we process through what you are uh, saying in here and what you're doing in this room, God, that your spirit would be uh, just active as we talk through this. So, uh, Father, we need you tonight. We pray for your spirit to come, that you would guard my mouth, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts as we approach your word. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, See, like you, when I was uh, growing up, I think I was maybe five or six or so, and uh, my family was taking a trip out to California, and it was going to be the first time that I'd ever seen the ocean. So I don't know if any of you guys have have been out to one of the coasts or you've seen an ocean before, but you know, I'm a young kid, and so I don't really have much of a conception of what this is going to be like, and I think I maybe saw some pictures or something, but... But I was excited. I was ready to go see this. I'd heard about the ocean and all this water, and so I was excited to go out there. And so we're driving, and I don't know if you've been to California, but there's you know these roads. I don't remember what road it is to get out to the, the beach, and it's kind of this windy road, and you're going through, and we're getting so close, but I couldn't really see the ocean yet. And then we kind of come around this curve, and we, we, there's like a rock kind of separation, and we get to see just this, this little bit of the ocean. It's like a on an inlet or something, whatever it's called, but we see just this little sliver of the ocean, and I thought in my mind, whoa, like, this is it. You know, I'm, I'm from Nebraska, and so I've seen, like, puddles, but I've never seen anything, like, big, and so I'm looking at this, and it's like a sliver and, like, a tiny little beach, and that's all I could see, but I remember thinking, well, this is the ocean. Like, this is greater than I ever thought. Like, this is so cool, and, and then we kind of kept driving, and we drove around another curve, and, and we drove a little bit further, and then... As we're driving, we turn, and this like rock that was in our way, we kind of get around, and all of a sudden, this view just like opens up, and my eyes get huge, and I'm like, well, this, this is the ocean, right? I, I thought that I had this little picture of it, but I saw, I mean, just miles and miles of water. Just, just I couldn't even comprehend what I was looking at in that moment, just this beach and just this vast water everywhere. It just blew my mind. And I realized in that moment that, man, I had no idea before I came out here. And I had this little picture, but now I just feasted my eyes on this scene of the ocean. And, and I say that because I think somewhat similarly in the, in the Christian world today, oftentimes when we talk about different things, we, we, we miss out on these big, grand views, and we settle for these little inlets, right? And I think when we talk about the idea of faith, when we talk about faith, I think sometimes we have this understanding that is like this little inlet. We think, okay, well, I've heard before, you know, Christians believe that, that to be saved, you have to have faith. And so faith is really this this one-time decision that we make. And, you know, I, I place my faith in God, and there, that's, that's faith. And what I think as we look at the whole of the Bible is that's, 
That's that inlet view. I mean, that's true and that's real and it's better than what you had before, but it's this, it's this tiny view. And I think so often we, we settle for that, but I think what Hebrews is going to get us to tonight is, is he's going to drive us around that curve and I think he wants to give us this huge, full, vast picture of what faith actually looks like in the Christian life. Because when we think of faith, it's not enough to think of a decision that we made in the past. It's not enough to think, yeah, when I was 3 or 13 or 20, I I placed my faith in Jesus, and so faith is done. I think what the author of Hebrews is going to say is that faith should actually drive you day in and day out. In the Christian world, it's not an inlet. It's this ocean of faith. And so what I want us to do tonight as we get to chapter 11 is see the importance and the necessity for us to have a proper view of faith in our life. If you were here last week, uh, Rich was preaching on Hebrews 10, and Hebrews 10 kind of finished up with this kind of uh, bleak warning here where he says, hey, there's, there's two options for you. You can either continue in the faith by faith, or you will fall away without faith, that the difference between enduring and not enduring is faith, that he says those who make it are through faith and those who don't make it are because of a lack of faith. And the author throughout this entire book has been pleading with us. We've said this week in and week out that this book is fuel for endurance, that for college students, if you guys want to make it the next 50 years running the race, this is fuel for endurance. And we're getting to a point in the book where he says, look, this is going to come down to do you live a life of faith? And so tonight, we need to see the importance of this section. We need to understand what a life in faith looks like if we're going to make it to the end. And so tonight we got uh, three points as we work through Hebrews 11, okay? So if you're a note taker, I got three points. We're going to look at an explanation of faith, examples of faith, and then exhortation for faith, okay? I don't know why I alliterate because I know you guys don't remember it, but it, OCD helps. So explanation for faith, examples of faith, exhortation for faith. So if you got your Bibles open Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start right away in verse 1 as we look at his explanation of faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Okay, so the, the author of Hebrews, remember, he just told us, look, this it's all going to be dependent on faith. And now the rest of this chapter is him going to be explaining this. And he starts, nicely for us, with a definition. He's going to define this for us. And so verse 1, he says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. So in other words, faith is this this unwavering confidence in our unseen hope. Okay, faith is just simply, it's this unwavering confidence in an unseen hope. So let me explain that. Uh, I I think oftentimes, maybe some of you have felt this, I've felt this at different times, when we think about the Christian faith, 
we kind of think that it, it, it's kind of an, uh, a blind faith, right? That it's just this kind of maybe wishy-washy, like kind of faith and, and wishing in God. But here, he's going to actually say there, there's, a, there's a resolute, a, a firm, an unwavering confidence that that is what faith is, that, it, that it's not just blind or, or shallow or unmerited, but faith in the Christian world is actually, it's deep. There, there's a depth to it, and it's an unwavering confidence. He also goes on to say that it, it's, it's in something unseen. Now this, I think, just kind of practically makes sense, right? That, that for you to have faith in something, it has to be in something unseen, right? If you, if you see it, you don't have to have faith in it. Okay, does that make any sense? Like, um, like I, don't, I don't have faith that you are in the room tonight. I see that you are in the room tonight, right? Like, I, I don't have faith that you're here. I can actually see it, and I know that you're here. Now, I have faith that my wife is, is at my house right now. Because before this, she told me, I'm going to be at my house. Now, I don't see her there, but my faith is that she's trustworthy and that she's not lying to me. And so I'm, con- I'm confident that if I were to drive there right now, she would be there. But I have faith in that because I can't see it, so it's faith. I don't have faith that you're here. I see you. But faith is in something unseen. And so what the, the author's giving us here is that, that faith is always a, it's a confidence in something unseen. That faith is not just a, an idea, but this confidence will always produce some sort of confident action in response to that unseen. Okay, that, that faith is, and it, it produces action because of your confidence in the unseen. Now, specifically, when we talk about Christian faith, a biblical understanding of Christian faith is going to, going to say that we need to place our hope in God and his promises. Okay, so I know I'm throwing a lot at you here. Faith is, is a confidence and what is unseen, and the, the special, unique element to the Christian faith is that what we're placing our hope in is God and his promises. Okay, so faith in the Christian world is simply a life lived out of confidence in God and his promises. So that's our understanding. We need to, to have that kind of in our, our framework as we continue to move forward. But before we get to some of his examples, I do want to to just pause for a second for, for some of us, because I think that Christianity does get this, this uh, rap or some critique that, okay, Christianity is kind of this weird um, faith thing, right? Have you ever heard this? Or maybe some of you in the room, if you're not a Christian, that's kind of your understanding. is hey, Christianity is this kind of out there faith thing that, that everybody else, we kind of you know, base ourselves on truth or reason or logic or, or things like that, but but Christianity is kind of out there. But I would say tonight, I want us to remember and think about that really any sort of religion or worldview that you carry or maybe that your friends or family carries all have an element of faith, right? So take, for example, um, science. If that's kind of the, the supreme in your mind, what you're saying then is the, the scientific uh, truth that we have found, that that is uh, reality, that our understanding of the world is based on the scientific truths that we have now proven, right? Well, I would say your faith is in the fact that we have now accomplished that understanding of reality, right? Because if you look historically, 
Science has continually changed and moved and been molded and things have been added to and disproved. I mean, there's not much that has consistently stayed without tweaks here and there that we're always kind of finding out more about reality and the way the world functions. So if we think, okay, how we, we see the world now from science is truth and reality, well, you're having faith that in 10 years or 50 years or 100 years, that truth isn't going to be disproved. You see, you're still operating out of a sense of faith. Or uh, even if maybe you're, you're an atheist in the room, or maybe some of you, you Christians have faced this claim where you say, well, you know, we, we think of logic and what is seen and what's knowable while you just have this faith. Well, same thing. I think that, that it's simple to say we have a faith in something unseen, that, it's, that he is real, Well, atheism has to base their claim on the fact that something that's unseen and unprovable is not real, right? That that you can't prove to me that God is real, just like I can't prove to you that God is real. And therefore, both sides have to have an element of faith to hold your ground. You see, this would go for any sort of religion or worldview. Everyone has to place some sort of faith in how you think the world works, But I think faith is so important because, friends, it's not just our worldview, but it actually drives a lot of the things we do even today, even little things. So uh, there's an overused kind of cheesy illustration of this that I told Miguel I didn't want to use, but... I'll use it anyway. Um, there's the example of, okay, so you talk about faith. Well, you know, you guys all came in, and Josh had you stand up, and you were singing. And then when I was coming up, we said, okay, have a seat. And you had faith that that chair would hold you, right? Like, you didn't think about it. But the fact that you sat down on that chair, you had faith that that thing was going to be able to hold you and not crumble, right? You were basing your faith on the fact that I didn't come in here earlier and undo the screws and set it up for you to sit down and collapse and be embarrassed, Right? I mean, you had faith in that. You don't think about that, but you did have faith because you didn't know what would happen, but you had a confidence and a faith that drove you to an action of sitting in that chair. Or or even uh, another example would be for, for you guys in school. You are in school right now under the basis of faith because you are in school thinking, if I do the, the requirements of this class, I am having faith that my teacher will pass me. And if my teachers pass me, I'm having faith that the university will give me a degree. And if I get a degree, I'm having faith that some company is going to hire me. And if they hire me, I'm having faith that that manager is going to write me a check, right? None of that is actually guaranteed for you. I'm sorry to say. Like, it's, that's not guaranteed, but you're doing what you're doing out of faith that that stuff is going to come. You are driven by faith. And so the question for us tonight is not simply, hey guys, do you have faith? The question for us tonight is, where is the object of your faith? You're all functioning out of faith, day in and day out, with big things like how you view the world and with little things like sitting in a chair. You have faith, but I want to ask, where is the object of your faith. What's the the unseen, the spiritual, or the future reality that you are putting your hope in? And especially if you're here tonight and you're uh, a believer in Jesus, a, a Christian, a follower, whatever you say, do you possess, do you live in, and do you live out of this type of biblical faith? 
an unwavering confidence in God and his promises? Is that what drives you? Is that what motivates you? So I'm not asking, did you place your faith in God a while back? Do you have this inlet type view of God that, yeah, 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 I have faith because I, I did that when I was four. But I'm asking, are you living out of a confidence in God and his promises? This is a real thing for us. I mean, as I was thinking through it this week, you know, I was thinking about times in my life where, hey, it gets hard to have faith. There's been moments since I placed my initial faith in Jesus that I have questioned God and his promises. I'm assuming some of you have too. You know, there's moments in my life, I thought back to uh, a couple years ago, I had been dating my now wife, uh, girlfriend at the time, Bailey, and, and we'd been dating for a year, and, and we had a really rocky relationship, and, and after a year, we decided, okay, we're either going to get married or we're going to break up, and so I proposed, and she said yes, and, and then she said no, and so my whole world, like in that moment, was like crumbling, I'm like, you know, this was not the plan. This is not what I was thinking. And I, I can laugh about it now, but in the moment, through tears, I'm begging God, are you really who you say you are? Like, I thought I was doing things right. I thought that I was persevering. I thought that we were supposed to do this. And I had to ask the question, do I believe God and his promises? In that moment, it was faith that was going to get me through. It's faith in, do I really believe that God is sovereign over all things and in control? Do I really believe that God is a good father to me and loves me? Do I believe that God wants to give me good gifts and be near to me? You know, just a, uh, a year after uh, we got married, this was last February, we had another tragic moment where uh, a year ago my wife and I found out that uh, she was pregnant and then we had a miscarriage. And in that moment, I'm sitting there again through tears and through pain, wondering, God, are you going to be faithful to your promises? Like, are you going to actually be who you say you are? Are your promises actually true in this moment? You see, life isn't about just this one-time thing that happened to you, but actually living through the ups and the downs in faith and confidence in God and his promises. You know, I know some of you have probably had moments like that where you've had a tragedy, where you felt alone, where you've wandered, and you had to ask your question, maybe tonight you're thinking, I'm asking that question right now. Do I believe God and his promises? For others of you, maybe it's not a, a tragedy. Maybe it's just simple things in life where you've got to ask the question, hey, do I believe what God says about money? Like when God tells me to be generous and, and to give, when when God tells me that we can test him and that he's going to provide for us and out of faith, if we are generous and give to the things of God, that we can't outgive him. That even as college students, if we think we don't have any money, that we could actually still give. Do you actually believe that? Do you believe when Jesus says it's actually better to give than to receive? I mean, do you practically believe that? Or what about in verses where, where Jesus is talking and says, man, it is better to cut your hand off than, than continue to use it to sin and go to hell. I mean, do we take that promise? I know he's speaking in hyperbole, but, but do we take that promise to say, man, Jesus thinks it's that big a deal to kill our sin? I mean, do we actually believe God and his promises and what he says? I mean, do we believe 
that true joy and abundant life is actually not found in living for ourselves, but in dying to ourselves and living for Jesus and others. I mean, Jesus says that. That's what Scripture says. Do we actually believe that? Is our faith in God and his promises? You see, the Christian life is driven by faith. It's not a one-time act. It is what drives us day in and day out. And we have to ask the questions, do we have a confidence in God and his promises? Now, the author of Hebrews continues on, and he moves past this idea of, okay, here's what faith is. And he does something that's fairly unique, I think, in Scripture. He's going to go through this rapid fire examples and illustrations for us to show us that if you do, you're not the first. (laughs) That if you do have faith in God, that you're not the first one doing this, but there's been a history of people who have essentially tested God to be faithful and that he has been faithful every time. And so what I want to do is I actually want to go through these verses. So if you have a Bible, uh, get these out, or you can just listen to me, but um, we're actually going to walk through these verses. Now, it's 4 through, I think, 37. I'm not going to read every single verse, and we'll go through it fairly quickly, so don't worry. But what I want us to see here is what the author is trying to portray is that the Christian life, life lived for God is always, has always been, and will always be a life lived out of faith. So, are you guys ready? Let's roll through fairly quickly. I'm going to kind of tell this in story form, so, uh, but you can kind of follow along with me through these verses as I name people and places. We start in verse 3. He says, Now, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what was seen is not made out of things That are visible. This is important because he says, look, the whole foundation of our belief that God is creator and that all of this is from him is utter faith because he was it was made out of nothing that was seen, but out of nothing. Okay, so he's saying that's how it starts. And then he continues. He says, Okay, remember this guy, Abel. Now Abel was Adam and Eve's son, and and what Abel did was he actually in faith believed that God was worthy of everything that he had, so he offered a sacrifice to God. His brother did not, and so he killed him. That was Abel. He moves on. He says, okay, remember generations after that. Now there's this man named Enoch. Now remember Enoch, he had a weird story because he lived with God, or he walked with God. He says he was blameless before God, pleased God, and so God just took him up. Didn't die, he was just taken. It's weird, he's one of the only guys in the Bible that didn't die, it's like rapture style, he just gets caught up, and he goes. And that's Enoch. He goes on, remember a few years later, there was this guy named Noah. Now remember Noah, he had this crazy story where God told him, hey, guess what? I'm actually going to condemn the entire world, I'm going to bring everything under a flood, and judge the earth by killing everybody but I'm going to start over with you. So Noah, build an ark, get your family, get two of every animal, which to me would seem impossible if I'm him. And he said, I'm going to bring the floods, you're going to float, and we're going to start over. And he does it. Like, that's weird. That's just crazy. But that's Noah. And then he continues. He says, now remember this man, Abraham, the father of our faith, right? That, that he, when he was just this pagan, this non-believer, walking around, God said, Abraham, I'm going to take you and move you to another land. I'm not going to tell you where. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen, but just go. 
And Abraham does it. And then God goes on to tell him, okay, now you're, you're showing faith. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make a covenant with you and promise that through a son, you will have many nations come from you. That you're going to have a legacy from this son. Problem was, Abraham was between 70 and 90 at different points, and he didn't have a son. The, this goes on to say later on in chapter 11 that Abraham was as good as dead. I mean, that's how it describes him. That this was an old man. He doesn't have a son until he's 100 years old. Now think about that. At 96, 97, 98, 99, Abraham is thinking, God, are you going to be faithful to this promise? You promised me land, blessing, uh, nations. I don't have a son. But God proves faithful. His wife, Sarah, says, by faith, had a son. And through that son, all the promises of God were going to come. So the son finally comes to Abraham and Sarah, and by faith, they received him. And then God comes to Abraham and says, okay, here's the deal. I need you to go up to an altar, and I need you to kill your son. Now think about it. This is not just a mythical story. This is a real man looking at his son thinking, God, everything you promised me was because of this son. If he dies, there's no more promises. And God says, go sacrifice your son. And so Abraham takes him up and he says he offered him up as a sacrifice. But before he actually did it, God provided. It said that God tested his faith. God tests the faith of Abraham to see if he really believed in God and his promises or in his son. But he goes on. He says, now that son Isaac continued the blessing to his son Jacob. And then Jacob continued it to his sons. And then there was this guy Joseph who was the son of Jacob. And he then foretold of this great exodus that was going to happen. This great salvation story that would happen for the people of God. And he mentioned where to bury his bones. Again, I don't understand why that's in there. But it is. So that's what Joseph does in faith. Then we go on. Verse 23. He now talks about Moses. So if you know the story of Israel. Now we're getting into the book of Exodus. And in Exodus he says by faith Moses' parents disobeyed the king at the time. Pharaoh of Egypt. The leader of the world. Who said kill all of your sons. And out of faith they disobeyed the king to obey God. And they saved their son. Well, Moses is down a river, the Pharaoh's daughter picks him up and raises him, and now Moses, in faith, it says, left the riches of Egypt. So think about this, he's the prince of Egypt, he's raised in this household, he has fame, recognition, royalty, and he said, I'm going to go suffer with my people rather than have the riches of Egypt. It later goes on to say that he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of of Egypt because of faith. But they go on. He says that the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. So after they got out of Egypt, they get, come to this point where there's a sea in front of them and they cry out to God thinking, God, you promised us that we were going to get out and now we're trapped. The Egyptians are coming after us. We can't go any further. God, have you failed in your promises? And it says, in faith, God parted the sea they walked through, all of the Egyptians died, simply by faith. And then it goes on. And they finally get to this land, Jericho. It's this big city with these big walls around it. And it says they needed a battle strategy for how they were going to get down this wall of Jericho. And so God gives them this strategy, hey, march around it and blow some trumpets 
and you will win. I mean, that's, that's not like a contextual thing. Like, that doesn't work in any time period. Like, that's just crazy. But in faith, they do it, and it works. He continues that there was this prostitute, Rahab, who she disobeyed others to be friendly to these Israelite spies out of faith. What he's showing us here in every single story is that out of faith, people acted. Even when the promises of God seemed like maybe they're falling apart, people acted in faith. There was a confidence, an unwavering confidence in God and his promises. And then read with me verses 32 through 38 if you have a Bible. This is how he finishes this section. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. So he's saying, look, there's all these amazing things that these people were doing through faith. They were conquering kingdoms and enforcing justice, and people were being raised to the dead. This was amazing. And then he goes on. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Friends, he gives these, this long list of examples to show there were many people who did amazing things. There were many people who were mocked, beaten, and killed. And they all did it out of faith. What he's showing us here is the way to endure riches and poverty, health and death, is through faith. So these are his examples, and I think he ends with an exhortation for us. We see that faith is simply a confidence in the uh, unseen God and his promises. That's what our faith is. We've seen examples that for years and years and years, people are marked by that faith through highs and lows. And so let me end with uh, two exhortations for faith. The first one I want us to see, starting in verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith. Now this word commended uh, is simply this idea of uh, God was uh, happy with, he uh, vouched for them, he was proud of this. They were uplifted. He thought well of these people for their faith. Now this idea is actually throughout the entire book, if, or entire chapter. If you go read through 11, it starts by saying they were commended by faith. It ends here by saying they were commended by faith. And throughout it mentions how these people were commended for faith. So the first thing we need to see is that our faith is commended. And the reason I want us to see this is, is huge. In this chapter, as you read through some of these crazy things that people did, God never once commends somebody for the action of what they did. He commended them for the faith that led to that action. God never said, Noah, you are so much greater than the rest, and I'm so much more happy with you because you saved the whole world, right? I mean, 
that would make sense to me, but he doesn't say that. He just commends people for their faith. All of these, whether great or small, whether saving the earth or believing a promise in hard times or being a king like David or a prostitute like Rahab, it wasn't the external action that God was pleased with. It was the faith inside that fueled that action. And so friends, for us, we need to remember that God is not more pleased with us the greater of works that we do, the more cleaned up that we are, the more land we conquer for Christ. God is pleased with those who act from faith. And the reality is, I believe some of you in this room are like big kingdom shakers. Like you're going you're gonna to move to Central Asia and just lead people to Christ and start great movements. And that is going to be amazing if it is out of faith. Others of you are going to get great jobs in Omaha, Nebraska, and you're going to reach your neighbors, and you're going to be a part of a healthy church, and if that is out of faith, that is going to be a great job. It's not about the external action. It is about the heart motive that is getting you to what you are doing. But on that note, I do want to say for us, this is not a cop-out to do crazy things for God. Because faith rarely leads you to easy, comfortable, normal American life. The American culture will lead you there. God rarely does. That it will be radical to follow in faith. And that's not saying you have to get up and move and do all these crazy things, but it is saying that there's going to be some risks There is going to be some things where your parents or your friends or people around you just don't understand what you are doing. There's going to be places you go, money you give, things you do, things you don't do that aren't going to make sense to the world because faith rarely leads you to the easy, comfortable, and worldly. It always leads you to risks and following after God. Number two, faith is commended. But secondly, faith is in Jesus. Look with me in verse 39. And all these, though commended through faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So again, this week, if you read through chapter 11, you're going to see that some of these people received part of what they were promised. Abraham got a son, but he didn't receive the full fulfillment of what the son would bring. There's these promises that people believed in that they might have received part, but it says here, these people had faith and they died without receiving the fulfillment of it. Because what he's saying is that their faith in the promises of God were not fully fulfilled until 2,000 years ago when Jesus came. You see, there was this period of time that Hebrews has talked about being in the Old Covenant that before Jesus, people were always looking forward and they were banking on the fact at some point God is going to be faithful. Right? Abel, before anything was really going on on the earth, was banking on the fact that someday God is going to be faithful to him. Abraham was banking on the fact that someday God was going to be faithful. When David sinned and pleaded for forgiveness, he was banking on the fact that someday God would provide an ultimate sacrifice for him. All of them never received fully what was promised. But Galatians says, when the fullness of time came, at just the right time, Jesus came. And Jesus lived 
and died on the cross and is now ascended and he is coming back. And in that story of Jesus is where our faith lies. 2 Corinthians 1 says that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. So think about that. Any promise that is made by God finds its fulfillment and yes and amen in Jesus. So friends, what this means for us is that while all these men and women were looking forward, hoping that one day God was going to prove faithful, that we are in a unique period of time where we actually get to not just look forward and hope that God is faithful, but we actually get to look back and know that God is faithful. How do we have an unwavering assurance and confidence? Because God has already proved himself faithful. How do we know he's going to continue to be faithful? Because he already has been in the ultimate Way, the way that for years people were looking towards, we now get a look back. So in your life, when you wonder, man, is God going to be faithful in this moment? For my wife and I, in those trying times, when we had to ask the question, man, is God going to be faithful now? We get to look back and say, man, if God was faithful to save my soul, forgive me of sins, and promise that he's bringing a new kingdom to earth one day, I know he will be faithful today. How much more should we have a confidence in God than all of these Old Testament saints because we know of Jesus? Our faith, this unwavering confidence in God and his promises are solely centered in Jesus. And so friends, I want to ask you, what might God be calling you to do in faith? I want you to wrestle. What might God be calling you to do in faith. I know for some of you that uh, you're wrestling through and it's been this going overseas this summer. That's something you've never done or never thought of doing and you say, man, there's something God has been stirring and I know I have to go. For others of you, you know, we're, uh, we've said the last couple weeks, we're trying to, to raise money as a family to send these people and maybe there's something in you stirring that says, man, that faith for me is not going but it's, it's writing a check that's going to be a sacrifice. Maybe for others, it's uh, in different areas of your life, telling somebody about the gospel is a step of faith that you're being stirred with. You know, I prayed before this that the Spirit would do something individually in your hearts to just prompt what God might be calling you to do in faith. The level of action doesn't matter. It's the, the amount of faith in your heart And moving forward in that action. Because our faith always produces action and faith. So let me pray for us. Father God, I do pray for us as a community now. Um, God, as we process through, uh, for all of us, what it is you might be doing. What it is you might be saying. I want to just give uh, a moment now for us to hear from you. God, that your spirit would speak tonight, that we would join uh, the saints of old in saying, by faith we acted. When it seemed crazy, we acted. When it seemed uh, like it wasn't going to make sense, we acted. When it seemed uh, dark, we acted. God, that if you sent your son to save us from our souls, or save our souls from sin and death, 
That if you promise to be with us and for us, God, how much more than the Old Testament saints can we walk in faith? God, I plead with you right now. Speak. As we stand and as we sing uh, for the next few minutes, God, would we sing in worship um, that we can have an unwavering confidence in who you are and in the promises you've made and to know that everything is a yes in Christ. Father, we love you. Would you speak to us now? Would you give us the courage to act in days and weeks and years to come? Pray in Jesus' name.